You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to the show. My name is J-Mac in St. Louis. And this is Sam Wade all the way out on the West Coast where it is super hot and there's a heat wave going on. J-Mac, it is so hot outside in the shade. You would not believe it. It is hot in the valley. Well, it's been hot in St. Louis, but it's been rainy hot. So it's kind of, I don't know if I can feel sorry for you, but uh, I, I feel the heat. I definitely feel the heat thing, but I like the heat. Speaking of the heat, we're bringing the heat on this week's episode, Icons. We're going to talk about Radiohead, one of my favorite bands of all time. But before we get into the juicy meat of the steak of the show, we'd just like to remind our listeners that a new episode of Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board drops every Wednesday on pretty much all major streaming services, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, and Spotify. And, of course, on Saturday, every Saturday, we just got done recording a B-side, which is kind of a squirrely discussion off off the reservation sometimes, usually off the reservations. But it drops every Saturday. It's a small, like, five to ten-minute little blurb, kind of give you, like, a little... Just a little like a like a little donut instead of like a full meal of, of two tape decks. Sam, what you got for me? J Mac, before we jump into Radiohead in our next installment of Icons, I thought it would be really cool to have a couple friends come on for this episode. Two guys that I know really love this band as well. Um, one of them is my longtime friend and a collaborator. We've we've written a lot of songs together. Uh, we've played shows in like four or five bands. Um, we played. Sh- shows when we were solo artists before we ever start a band we've produced four albums and and, uh and uh, eps together so we got jimmy Britton on here to talk about radiohead um he was kind of in some ways an introduction to radiohead for me and we also have uh eli Britton on the show who is a young uh aspiring artist he is writing his own stuff and he's also already a multi-instrumentalist and learning how to produce and making really really good stuff i jammed with this guy He's good. He's already played out with uh, bands in St. Louis, uh, Dear Genre, and already been doing shows. So I'm so excited to have both of these guys on the show. Why don't you say what's up, guys? Hey, what's up? It's good to be here, Sam. Thanks for the intro. Hi, my name is Eli. Um, yeah, I'm Jimmy's son. And thank you for that intro. Look, J-Mac, I don't know if I showed you the video. Um, I was back in St. Louis one point. We got into the band rehearsal space and started playing some old Saturn V Rocket song, which was like this stoner rock band that I was in. And Eli kept right up with everything that we were doing. Well, he's got some really cool John Lennon glasses on, too. i got to say, I love those John Lennon glasses, Eli. Thank you. Well, Sam, you want to give you want to give an intro to our icon this month, Radiohead? Yeah, so, you know, um, if there was a band for me, I think it's pretty well known um, with our fans of the show that uh, both you and I, J-Mac, are huge Beatles fans, right? And yes, junkies even. absolutely. Uh, if there is one band that comes close to to that level uh, for me, it's going to be Radiohead. And I feel like there's so much to talk about these guys. And, you know, I just want to remind our listeners, you know, we're not doing an exhaustive biography of this band. There's no way. I mean, there's so many layers to this band. Like we could do three episodes just talking about what their uh, contribution to music. So we're just going to hit some of the highlights and how their music have, you know, really uh, affected us. 
So let's uh, let's dive into it, man. Well, the first Radiohead song I remember hearing was probably Fake Plastic Trees. That was what really locked me. And I'm, maybe I heard other ones. I, I Creep was the one that was the most popular at the time, their first big hit. But the first one that I remember was from the Benz, Fake Plastic mm-hmm. Trees. And when I heard it, I'd never really heard anything like that, maybe except like uh, something the Beatles might have done, like Day in the Life or something. My first foray into Radiohead was Creep. I mean, I remember because uh, I was I was in high school at the time and the video for Creep came out. And that's I mean, I remember seeing it and thinking, who are these guys? And a buddy of mine came over and said, hey, have you heard that new Radiohead song? And I'm like, new radio. I mean, that's the only song that we knew of them. It was Creep. And I mean, immediately, I, I mean, it was just, you know, 1993 or whatever. So all I was into at the time was Nirvana Pearl Jam. And then this sort of song came out and it felt like it was something different. It was something, I remember the chunk, 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 you know, that part yep. from Johnny Greenwood. And I didn't really know what to make of it, but it turned me on to the, to the album and I bought Pablo Honey. I think my first introduction to Radiohead as a band, I know I, I saw Creep on on uh, on MTV at some point yeah. in that time period, but I think where I started to really pay attention to them was uh, was the Benz. I was I was I was introduced to that record by a guy named Don, real cool hippie dude, and he played it for me. It just kind of blew me away as a record, and uh, there were some really amazing sounds and attitude that was happening on that. What about you, Eli? Like, what was the first? Do you remember like the first time that you heard? I mean, you probably grew up here in Radiohead, right? In this house, I hope you did. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember being like five, six, seven years old, hearing "Creep" on the radio. I remember us doing like chores. Dad was always like put on. It was like the Kid A album. Mm-hmm. He'd always put that on, and then I'd hear "Idiot Idiot Tech" and then stop doing chores and just listen to that. That is such a rhythmic song too. So I can totally see how that would connect with you. Like that record is just, it's, it's more than the sum of its parts and it, it gets into some really kind of weird territory uh, that a band like that hadn't done at that point. And they kind of like blew people's minds when that record came out. I think a lot of people didn't even know what to do with it at first. Well, I, and I was one of those, sorry, J Mac. I, I was one of those people who didn't because I was a fan of, you know, Pablo Honey because that was sort of just the grungy guitarist stuff. And then the Benz came out and I was like, yeah, I can t- plant Telex. And then all this sort of all this like soft acoustic stuff with, with fake plastic trees. And, and then uh, OK Computer came out and it, it again blew all of our minds, right? But when Kid A came out, that was what changed the Radiohead landscape for a while. And I was not, at first, me personally, I was not happy with it. I was like, this this is weird. This is not what I wanted. I can really relate because what, first of all, what got me into Radiohead, I, I was and still am a huge Oasis fan. And so I was kind of a fan of the Brit rock stuff. And fake plastic trees kind of like fell into that category. And so I followed them through that and then okay computer and then i guess kid a came out and i was like what the hell is this garbage and i was actually frustrated with it not really realizing what they were doing at the time that was kind of the and maybe we can speak to this at some point during the show but tom york and i guess the whole band kind of collectively went through this anti-rock star thing okay computer was a masterpiece that i don't think it would be hard for any band to live up to that and I think Kid A, in my opinion, was sort of a reaction to the fame and the the glamour and just the uh, applause that OK Computer generated. 
And looking back, it's a brilliant album. But at the time, I was not a fan of it. But that just goes to show you that Radiohead was willing to take risks and go places, take you places that other bands weren't. Oh, without a doubt. I remember I was I was a teacher at the time. I was teaching um, I was teaching eighth grade. Yeah, when so in between Kid, uh, I'm sorry, uh, OK Computer and then Kid A came out. So OK, OK Computer, we were all like, you know, kind of police. It was awesome. It was like this like alternative rock band. They were still going strong. And then Kid A came out, and I thought, man, they really turned a corner. And it was the same way. Like I didn't really like. I didn't like it. It gave me a headache. Maybe it was just <laughs> sort of like, ah, it's okay. it's okay. But I. <laughs> Some of my students came up to me and said, "You don't like Kid A? Like you've, this? This album is amazing." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no! It's not the Radiohead we all know. Like you're right. you're smoking crack. Like it's not." But of course, it is. Like looking back, you know, one of the I mean, if not the best Radiohead record. I mean, it's so good. It broke so many boundaries. But at the time, I did not know it. Did not care to think about it because all I was concerned about was guitar rock sounds yeah <laughs> that's what i wanted a lot of early fans that that experienced the, kind of that that conundrum i actually didn't become a huge radiohead fan until after that um but you know i i, I kind of feel like we're dancing around a thing here that i want to kind of clarify uh, clarify for our listeners as well is like um the ascent to stardom of this band i mean they started off as like a uh you know a small college band uh right. played shows for their for their fellow classmates um, in uh, Oxfordshire, uh, England, uh, really influenced by the Smiths. So it kind of had that kind of poppy, like uh, chimey Johnny Marr kind of guitar. And, uh, you know, the drums kind of that real kind of done. And I, you know, I think of like Headmaster Ritual off, to, off of Amita's Murder. And it's that, right? So they had like this poppy kind of sound. They switched their format um, and then put out this amazing, like, early it wasn't quite grunge it wasn't quite creation records sound of that rock of that era but it was definitely a rock record with pablo honey um creep kind of put them into um, a spotlight in america they were playing you know they were starting to get more well known and right around that same time kurt cobain died you know suddenly there was this icon that had spearheaded this whole movement of grunge rock um at least in the way it was marketed i don't think he ever owned that title himself but uh you know he he became this icon suddenly that was gone and it changed everything and people were looking for the next kurt cobain the next kind of herald of this thing and tom york was one of those guys jeremy enick was one of those guys in sunny day real estate i even think michael stipe got pushed up into that category where people were looking to someone to kind of like latch their sound onto and a lot of what's on the bends is kind of them bucking that persona when they do songs like my my iron lung Mm -hmm. they're actually giving the finger you know this is this this is our new song just like the last one a total waste of time my iron lung so this kind of attitude the reason i bring this up is like from the from the point that they became international superstars with the okay computer and then kind of rebelled against that they did the same thing they did on the bends but they did it in a huge way with kid a i just thought that was interesting to point out that the kind of this journey right yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I, I would I would agree. I mean, I think because I was thinking about this earlier when we were going to be talking about Radiohead, I thought, man, in 1993, when that record came out, it it was the grunge. It was the grunge heyday and all these really, really, really profound uh, generation defining albums were coming out in 1994. 
No one knew that yet. We're talking about Super Unknown. We're talking about Red Hot Chili Peppers. We're talking about, um, you know, Oasis, Bush, like all these bands that came out with these records in 94. Uh, and then Kurt Cobain died, right? And a change swept through the landscape. And I think Radiohead wasn't happy with, nor did they really care about. Uh, we found out later about Pablo Honey. Because mm -hmm. that's their transition from on a Friday to being Radiohead when they signed with EMI. I, I, I'll go back and listen to that now, and like I really love the the record. I can see why they maybe didn't like it at the time. It was a little bit soft. It was a little poppy. It was a little bit friendly, I think. Whereas the rest of what was happening at the time wasn't that. And so I think that's why when like the Benz came out in '95 with you know, Planet Telex and, uh, you know, a song like Just. Like yeah. those, those were completely, like you said, with My Iron Lung, like completely different, like, direction. Like, we're going to not put up with what's happening right now. This is not what we want. I don't want to be the next Kurt Cobain. I think of my ranking of Raiderhead Records, the Benz is number two because of that reason. Wow. I don't want to go on to, like, other things. I love that record. I think the album at the time, though, in, in how it happened in the whole in the whole like early '90s grunge thing, is uh, is you know definitive. I think it's really really good. Well, let me say this: Pablo Honey doesn't sound like Radiohead to me. We, me and Sam, have talked before about artists that are icons that come out out fully formed. It's not a bad album. It's got some great songs on some great sounds, but it's like every Radiohead album seems like it's a stepping stone to the next thing and. They started off like just kind of like a regular, not regular, but like a, a, a brilliant band that had potential with Pablo Honey. You didn't start to see the glimmer of what was underneath until the Benz. And, and, and Jimmy, I agree with you. That's, that's one of my favorite Radiohead albums. But, but then once again, the next album was OK Computer, Complete Jump. I don't know that I agree with you on that, J Mac. Okay. I don't think it's a complete jump between the two. And, and, and here's why. Um, I think it's a it's a revelation of what they began with the Benz and there, here's how I'll back that up. So one of the things that's really cool about Radiohead that people may not know, unless if they're diehard fans is that they have some of the best B sides of any yes. band that I've ever. Yes. Come oh, in contact. yes. Without a doubt. Like, it's so amazing, right? Like there's songs that don't necessarily fit on a record, but they're amazing compositions. And if you look at the B sides in between the recording of Pablo honey and the recording of the Benz, you can hear, just like the Beatles anthology in a way, the evolution of this band moving from, you know, kind of like an arena rock, uh, modern rock band into taking risks and doing crazy things uh, when they were in the studio. And I know that there's because some there's a bunch of songs that didn't make it on the album. And you listen to some of the B-sides and you hear how they were like ripping off parts and putting it in other songs. I was going to say, like, I, I sort of agree with both of you, like where I think like the, the transition from the bends to to uh, okay computer it's almost like this maturity like where you're saying like you you anticipate or are hopeful for what comes next because it's going to be bigger and different more different than what you heard before um like sam said you know they might have written 100 songs that yep. didn't make it on the album and they're great b-sides in their wonderful compositions we listen to them and go oh my god they're amazing but never made the record I always feel like Radiohead, the, the, the reason I can be a fan of them, you know, 20 years into it is because there is so much material that right. you just, I'm not sure if I've even heard it at all yet. 
<laughs> well, and especially with the the, the mini discs, the, the 10 mini discs that came out on Bandcamp. Right. I'm not even into that. If fans want to look it up, you can go in and see what that was all about. Um, but, you know, as I'm thinking about it and we're talking it out from a from a rock band standpoint, I see a maturity in a vein that they were already doing with the bends. But what I do agree with J-Mac that I, you know, on mm-hmm. is that OK Computer, I think, was like Radiohead fully realized suddenly. And it's also one of the first concept records that they made. Um, and it kind of paved the the groundwork for what they ended up doing with a lot of their music from there on when they started collaborating with stanley donwood having reoccurring themes in their artwork like the like the, the little bear uh, symbol and, and some yeah. of the, the the reoccurring uh, motifs we'll get into this even deeper later on in the show because it starts to become a crazy thing once you get to like amnesiac yeah. and so they started to see this like uh, okay computer had themes of like uh, technology turning dark and isolation and anxiety. And I think that's one of the reasons it stood the test of time too, as a, as an album, is it's this crazy concept record that pulls you into its world. It's bleak. It's so bleak. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a better way to describe the transition from Pablo Honey through the bands to OK Computer and then on through Kid A was almost like an evolutionary chart. You know, you see the monkey men kind of growing through through the chart yeah that's sort of what what i'm envisioning but the real jump for me was the gap between okay computer and hail to the thief i feel like they went through something they came through that kind of hurricane of artistic inspiration maybe not better but a different more unified band at the other i mean you guys should feel free to disagree I want to refer to that documentary, Meeting People is Easy. Oh, yeah, that, um, that was after the OK Computer Sessions, right? It, well, it, yes, and it was after their, their world tour. Yeah. Um, it's been well documented to go in and, and see you know, some of the themes that were happening. I know isolation and loneliness and despair and anxiety, depression. These were things that I know Tom York was dealing with at the time, and he was pulling into it. I do want to hear uh, Eli speak to Kid A, so feel free to butt in whenever we get to that record. But, you know, one of the things, too, that makes me think about this record is Tom York, in, in one of the interviews I read, talks about this extreme writer's block that they had while they were making Kid A. And there, there, there are a few songs that were written already when they started to make this. You can actually hear How to Disappear Completely being sung in the footage of Meeting People is Easy when they're on the OK Computer Tour. So that was a song. Actually, Nude off of In Rainbows was around at that time, too. Right. Exactly. Um but they came to this point where like they couldn't write. I know they started using the cut up method that they heard from the talking heads record, um, uh, remain in light, um, where they, they started writing lyrics that way. And so that's kind of like the fragmentation and the weird blips. And since they started using the sampling and, uh, you know, they started playing with like the chaos machine and like sampling little pieces and doing weird little tricks in the background with kid. A. And I, and I think just to kind of build on that is, uh, is we can't underestimate the influence and uh, ability and and the progression. I think of Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, uh, he went from being the the keyboard player to picking up a guitar and learning how to make all these sounds with the guitar. And then by the time King of Limbs came out, he had written software that he used to record the record and, and to play all these different types of 
uh, loops and samples. And, you know, it started off with Kid A and everything in its right place and doing um, all that manipulation of Tom York's voice, especially in the live setting. That's all Johnny Greenwood, like writing the software. I mean, that's like computer nerd central right now. So I think to, to describe from, you know, Kid A with Amnesiac, of course, recorded at the same time. And then you get to um, uh, uh, Hail to the Thief and then uh, and beyond. Like that's all like this progression of com of computers almost. And we hear that in the music. You know, we get well, away from it's even literally talking about computers in the music. <laughs> like, you know, the original title for OK, for OK Computer was zeros and ones. Right. Just right. this whole idea of binary thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's it, it boils down to that isolation and things. It's pretty crazy that they ended up that computers are such a part of their music now. Yeah. Well, Eli, what was it about Kid A that grabbed you? I'd say the um, just the ambience to all the music you'll hear in um. And one of the songs, uh, Idiotech. I like how there's like a beat, and then you hear right away, like the synth. I always like that. Hey, that's one of the things I'm talking about. That's that's what Johnny Greenwood helped create. Like yep. that was stuff that he programmed. Mm -hmm. Like which at I mean, not that it was unusual at the time. But we're talking about late '90s, early 2000s. Websites were only a thing for a few years at that point. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So, well, right. you know, we got to get a lot of credit um, to Ed O'Brien as well for those sounds, because of I think course. one of the things when you listen to Kid A, a lot of the sounds that sound like they're synthesized, synthesized are actually weird, tripped out, affected uh, guitars. Like I know that he would do stuff with like, I think like an Ebo or at least one of those, uh, you know, Fernandez sustain pickups. And he was sampling some of Tom York stuff, putting in one of those core chaos machines and tripping it around and flipping loops backwards and, and stuff like that it's like this they kind of abandoned themselves to get kind of a little weird yeah it's like they got into pink floyd territory all of a sudden well and that yeah. that's the thing about those albums i feel like they they you could hear they've got a songwriting block but they didn't have they didn't have an evolution block they continued right. to evolve sonically mm -hmm. even though there was not necessarily traditional songs on that record but once again you get to hail to the thief and it all makes sense for me that was the album that brought me back moving forward that was the album that brought me back to radiohead because i heard what they were doing in kid a and amnesiac combined with okay computer and the bands and i was like i get it now i get what they were doing and that's i, I gotta tell you that's when i really became a, a bona fide radiohead fan was hail to the thief because then it made sense to me i i could connect the dots and that was it was exciting to have Radiohead back. I saw him on that tour. It was amazing. It was an amazing concert hail to the thief. Yeah, that wasn't... I saw that tour. I think I was in Houston at the time. I saw that tour. It was an amazing show. I remember thinking the same thing, J-Matt. Like, this... this uh, hail to the Thief was, to me, such a... I mean, 2 plus 2 equals 5 is probably one of the best album openers. Oh, I love like, it. It gets yeah. into, like, Brian Wilson territory, but, like, modern rock Brian Wilson. Like, the way it has all yeah. these sections that go together. It's a crazy song. Yeah, exactly. But mine for me, it's it's uh, it's Amnesiac was the one that brought me back. Like I th and I know it's weird because Kid A I hated, but Amnesiac I love. It almost taught me like, oh, this is what they were doing. They right. recorded both these things at the same time. Like, oh my god, like this. I need to like get on board with this new Radiohead, or else I'm gonna lose them forever. So standout tracks on that record for me too are like uh, they're there. They're there. Oh my god, they yes. They build up. They do like this. Yeah. 
these tom drums Man. seeing a live performance that is pretty sweet too and then the way it just kind of builds and builds and builds it's mm -hmm. kind of like what they were doing with paranoid android but a little bit more uh stripped back and like super intentional and precise the the themes again another concept record the themes on album have yeah. to do with like you know a obvious distrust in a post 9-11 world yeah but it definitely influenced like this angry rock record i mean it was a mad record it was and what about mixing mythosis that's the oh other my god oh, yeah, yeah. who else can do that song right who else can do a song like that no one can. One of my personal favorites on that record is a drunken punch out at a wedding. <laughs> because, oh, God, because, I love that song. Because, <laughs> because at the time, I, in my personal life, there was some there was some tumult, I should say, and that song, I would listen to the lyrics. I'm like, this is my life. This is my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they certainly, um, as a band, I think. I think you're right in in the assessment that they won back a lot of fans yeah. and and people by, by bringing like the the guitar rock aspect back to the record, mm -hmm. and it really set them up well for the next album. And you know, if I can, I kind of want to segue into uh, in rainbows here because I feel like it's it's probably it might be one of their most important works. And I would include I would say this is my favorite Radiohead record out of everything that they've ever released. I'd probably say I also kind of grew up in, in Rainbows because it was made at, like, around the time I was born. Mm. I remember, like, listening to it a lot, hearing all these cool songs. I remember, like, always loving them. I remember always, like, thinking about them before, like, I went to bed. <laughs> and I could definitely see that with that record, too, um, because it is, you know... I don't think there, that it is a mistake to have such a colorful cover that's on it because I think there is a little bit of Alice in Wonderland going on with that record. Oh, it kind yeah. of pulls you into a, into a world for sure. I want to say, Liz, I, I struggle with, because I'm thinking as we're going to talk about this during this, during this episode, it, you might need to have a ranking. What's your favorite Radiohead album? Yeah. And yeah. I struggled with it for a long time because I wanted to say in Rainbows. It's, so, it's almost like it's so obvious. When it came out in 2007... And what they were doing at the time, you know, you know, in terms of just um, selling it, you know, marketing it, pay what you want. I mean, it, it was a complete like turn of, uh, you know, in economics, like how you're going to market and pay for this record. Like that was that was probably for a long time my favorite record. And I think when I go back through the whole catalog, I go Amnesiac is probably number one for me and because that's what brought me back to Radiohead. I think with with uh within rainbows when you look at the in entirety of it the the flow of the record what it meant for it what, what it meant for us at the at the time i just i think that's it, i have a hard time not saying that's my favorite but it's really close to the top you know i kind of want to go back to that to that marketing aspect because i totally agree with you jimmy like kind of when it when it came out it definitely um it definitely redefined a lot of things and it kind of it actually it was a surprise record i don't know if you remember this let's get into kind of the hype and the marketing surround this like it, it would be easy to just kind of and you know importantly say that it was one of the first records um to be released at a pay what you want kind of model released yeah. online um, which eventually became kind of the model for Bandcamp in a lot of ways. And a lot of the services that are out there now, um, we're not being paid by Bandcamp, but I think it's a good <laughs> platform. I do, uh, if I can just do a plug for Bandcamp, one of the things that's been amazing during um, the pandemic is that they've had days where they give all the profits back to the artists. So they are worth talking about. But that idea wasn't around at the time. This record, no one know, had known had it, it had even been recorded. 
They announced it 10 days before release on their website. Um, and then every day for 10 days, they would put these hints on what the record might be, but they would pick like words. And one of them was like a phrase, endless uh, suburbia, but they replaced the beginning letters with an X. Um, so it was endless suburbia and X for Roman numeral 10. So I'm going to start to go pretty deep with this um, because there are. Sam, Sam, are you going to get like all lost on us right now? Like, <laughs> this is the way JJ Abrams thought about lost. We need like to have some music here that's like, like, okay, here we're going to get into the conspiracy side of Radiohead. But it's a it's a light conspiracy. It's they have been encoding Easter eggs into their music for a long time. Um, and I should have set this up better. And I thanks for bringing that up because one of the things how they are like Pink Floyd is you know how there's this legend of like when you take Dark Side of the Moon, it'll match up with the Wizard of Oz. Right. I don't yeah. know if it's true. It kind <laughs> of works. There are some theories about this record in Rainbows. So in the in the marketing, they started to hint at the number 10. Well, you could look at binary code, which is what all computer languages are written in, and it's all based on a one and a zero, right? An on or an off. So they released this 10 days before there's a one and a zero. It's released 10 years after OK Computer. The original name of OK Computer was called Zeros and Ones. There's some other things that are pretty crazy um, that surround this. The name has the same amount of letters in the name. And it's a two-letter word and then an eight-letter word in Rainbow's OK Computer. There's this whole site. And this is where I'm going to kind of stop. Because if you want to really get into this, it'll go deep. You can, you, you can go down at least a two- or three-hour rabbit hole. <laughs> so this is fun. There's Which actually sure have. <laughs> I have because I think it's super interesting. And it's just fun to think about. Okay? So if you go to this website called uh, Puddlegum, it's a, it's a music blog. They're one of the best resources for this. And it recaps all of these kind of tens that show up. There's actually an alternate playlist. And it's basically, it's almost like this tenant idea where you take the two albums and you interlink the songs together and they might make one massive playlist. And it actually works for some of the songs. At the end of 15 Step, it actually changes keys and it's the same as Paranoid Android. And oh, like, exactly. one. There's this alternate thing. It's kind of fun to think about. Tom York hasn't really come out and said 100%, but he has hinted that there are these kind of encode, encoding things built into their music. And they really took it far with this record in the 10th anniversary for OK. OK, okay. time out. Can I, can I say something right <laughs> here? Yeah, go ahead. Sam, listen, I, I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> for, so, for so many years on so many things, you, you've had... You've had these like conspiracy theories. I mean, Lost <laughs> is one of them. Right, right. Now, listen. I definitely like mysteries. Yes. But on this one, whereas before I'm kind of like, I don't know, man. I'm a, kind of a skeptic. With this one with Radiohead and the, the intermixing of these two, I believe it could happen. Who else, what other band in the universe right. would do that? I just believe that what you're saying about Radiohead <laughs> could actually happen. So... It is one of those things of rock legend that could definitely fit in that category of all the Paul is dead myths or right. Wizard of Oz, Dark Side of the Moon. Again, with right. that, right, right. Um, little hidden meanings, backwards masking. It fits into that category. The only band that I can think right now that's doing something similar would be 21 Pilots. And that's yeah. a band that is well worth a long listen to. I think they're an extremely great band. And yep. they've had this continuing story of, uh, of Nico and the Niners kind of 
um, through several records. So is I, I agree with you. Hey, Sam, maybe we should start putting secret messages in this podcast. <laughs> and maybe- How do you know we haven't already, J-Mac? <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> true. That's true. That's true. We, uh, I think our secret messages are in the B-sides. That's where I feel like we're hiding all our subliminal stuff. Right. Well, hey, look, I want to dig out of this rabbit hole for a okay, second all right, and talk all right. about, about how great of a record In Rainbows really is, too. This was the first record they put out as an, as an independent band. And, you know, when you're talking about paying your own price, they actually made more money with this one album than all of their EMI records. Well, I think we should at least touch on and just how, how beautiful of an album it is, too. All the songs, when they went in the studio on this, they had lived and breathed them for a while. They were like almost all written on the, like during the Hail to the Thief tour and whatever tour followed that. Also in between um, these two records, Tom put out the, his solo record, the uh, Eraser. Oh, Eraser. Oh. Um, and we haven't even talked too much about Angel Goddard, which we'll have to touch on just his influence towards the end of the show. No, a- absolutely. He's been there since the beginning, just, at, you know, from the bends on, I think. Right. right. And just really just help them guide this and what they produced on in rainbows um and actually that live performance they did of it in in nigel's studio uh, live from the basement just phenomenal how's it how do they even do this live like they play together so well i don't know i remember thinking oh look there's an egg shaker because johnny greenwood's playing the egg shaker (laughs) it gives me all those feels of like how good they really are and i know a lot of people don't understand it we haven't really talked about key changes we haven't talked about time signature we haven't talked about all these things that make the structure of a radiohead song happen and how uh even like you know music professors teach their classes of uh, on radiohead songs and i also want to point out too with the in rainbows release it's very similar to what happened with kid a and amnesiac where they're both complementary records. So we talked, we went down the rabbit hole of how OK Computer could be a complementary record to In Rainbows, but there's actually a known second disc to In Rainbows um, that was originally only released within the vinyl box set for this record. Um, now it's out on all the streaming surfaces and you can listen to it and it picks right up where videotape the last song. Oh, videotape. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And it's just like this really great listen. It, it, it is a band at the height of their powers. They're learning how to play just enough. And as we jump into King of Limbs, I think that's where they kind of took that, you know, what they learned on, on OK Computer to just let the song breathe. They very much took into King of Limbs and kind of chilled out just a little bit. I think. Mm-hmm. I feel like King of Limbs was kind of like a breather for them. I don't know if that's not a breather. Maybe that's the wrong term. Like, I think you, they sw- they downshifted a little bit and they kind of they kind of gave you a different feel than some of the intensity on some of the the, the previous releases. And, and that's not a bad thing. It's just um, I think of the song Codex. It's very dreamy. I feel like they definitely switched gears. What's your opinion on on King of Limbs? Other than the bizarre artwork, I love the bizarre artwork on that one. I mean, I'm I'm going to jump in and say, you know, J Mac, I agree with you that it felt like it was a breather or like some sort of like in an interlude record. It wasn't like it meant to be like another kid. A it was just sort of just an interlude. And I mean, I I liked I like it, and I still like it a lot. At first, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, we're gonna. This is almost like the path to the next Radiohead phase whatever we're going to get after this, but that's what it felt like a transition. 
Well, if I had to, if I had to describe it, I feel like they were reloading for moon shaped pool. Yes, yeah, like they're, they're reloading the shotgun. You know, one thing I want to say about King of Limbs real quick is it it didn't hit with me the the the, the first time I heard the album. I agree, it felt like it kind of just rested. And then one of my friends who, who's a recording engineer and a huge Radiohead fan as well, Dan Merman, runs a studio in St. Louis, mm-hmm. incredible musician himself. He actually, his observation at the time was, it seemed like they were just putting in just enough. Like, here's all the pieces that a song needs. We don't need more than that. We just need these pieces to make this work. And then they went with that, just kind of like, let it kind of grow. And maybe that's kind of like the idea for the King of Limbs. Maybe it was like, you know, not a lot of leaves dressing in the tree. It was just kind of, this is the skeleton of what is needed barely for this for this uh, song, which kind of ironically is the landscape of pop music now. And you can definitely see that in music from like Billie Eilish and Phineas. Um, so maybe it was forward thinking, but I just thought that was an interesting way of looking at it because it can sound meandering. <laughs> This was the album that a lot of the software we were talking about earlier that that Johnny Greenwood helped create. They they used to make King of Limbs. That's why I feel like it maybe is like the first version of this. And then you get to Moonshape Pool, the second more mature version of it. We should talk about a Moonshape Pool because that's actually their most current record. So Tom and, and, and Johnny are starting a new uh, band uh, with, with Nigel and, and, and another guy, and they, they debuted it just recently. But as a, as a Radiohead album, the last one to be released was A Moonshaped Pool in 2016. Yeah. And it is a, a beautiful composition of a record. Wouldn't you agree, J-Mac? I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say something that might be sacrilege to some Radiohead fans, but... That's number two on my list. Uh, OK Computer, Moonshape Pool, uh, The Bends. Moonshape Pool, when I put it on, I've got it on vinyl. And it took me to a place, I can't even describe it, but there was something about the notes and the sound and the vibrations of that record. Maybe it had to do with the, the tumult and, the, and the, the pain that it was made under, but I felt so emotional listening to that record and i can't exactly tell you why and maybe that's why it's it's my number two favorite because it's it elicited some emotion for me i would have to say that that record is really high up on the list for me as well to do it so late in your career is is amazing that you've still got so much left to give that what like 30 years on you're you're still putting out amazing stuff like that blew my mind dude blew my mind true love waits makes an appearance officially on that record right yeah you're right it's it's been a fan favorite from live shows for a long time it wasn't actually a proper studio recording until this record well here's the thing about that album for me i don't actually listen to it as separate tracks i listen to it in complete form every time i put it on it's almost like it's almost like an opera or like an opus i feel like to get the full effect of it you got to listen to it from beginning to end it's a two record set if i put on record one i'm listening to record two don't bother me for like an hour because i'm going to be in i'm going to be in by my record player for at least an hour you know, I think a lot of their albums are like that, but that that one in particular, I think, um, in Rainbows one and two are like that for me. Like I want to listen to them straight through. Um, but Moonshape Pool, when I first heard it, and I heard that you know, uh, sort of janky, I'm playing the guitar with a violin string, Johnny Greenwood thing on um, on track one. Uh, what is it again? From the Witch. I was like, here we go again. Here we go again. This is another level of what Radiohead's going to do. 
it, I mean, you just, I, I always think about Radiohead in terms of, of transition or progress from on a Friday all the way through what they give us next. You know, one of the things I, I want to make an observation about that record too is it's kind of, it's been speculated a lot. And some of the themes um, can actually back this up a little bit, but it might very well be Tom York's Blood on the Tracks, which uh, for those of you know, was uh, the breakup record that Bob Dylan made. It has Shelter from the Storm on it. Right. There's been other records um, from this time, from you know different careers where people have made this and it's obviously been influenced by some very real life situations. And I think reading between the cracks on this record, there, there's a lot of that happening. Um, Tom had uh, uh, just uh, separated from his longtime partner. And uh, I think that that really influenced a lot of the way they approached this record. It's almost like like a look back on the breadth of their of their whole you know musical career. I don't know that they go all the way to Pablo Honey with some of the sounds, but it definitely has touches sometimes back to OK Computer, but always through this like weathered lens. And one of the things I'll point out is at the end of the second song, Daydreaming, mm -hmm. there's this really weird outro where you hear like this voice speaking backwards and it's mimicked by the sound of a cello. And what that's actually saying is it's Tom saying half of my life. Wow. And so a lot of people uh, speculate that this is kind of his commentary on, you know, ending something, you know, I don't want to delve into his personal business too much because um, how would we even know, but of what has really been shared is that this was a very emotional time for, for them. And I think it influenced like looking back on half of their life at this point spent in this band and also being together with another person and seeing that end um, really kind of brought it to home to some really human themes on this record, which ironically to have towards the end, true love waits. It's just crazy. The, the other thing that I want to point about this record, and if you guys want to say something about, something about this, go for it. It's weird though. Like all the songs are in, are listed in, in uh, alphabetical order. Alphabetical order. Yeah. Either yeah, they did this on purpose and named them so they would be that way, or they were just were like, here's our songs for this record. You decide what the order is because we don't even know at this point. I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting way to approach it. I think as a musician myself, and maybe Sam, this is maybe, you know, how, how we, I think we think the same is when I, when I first hear, even on Pablo Honey, when I first heard Radiohead songs, I thought, man, I could never write a song like that. That is so intricate. That is so different. That is so beyond what I think I can do. And every album is the same way, even to this day, where we are accomplished musicians after 30 years of our craft. Like, you know, I'm 47 years old. I've been playing since I was seven years old. When I hear something on Moonshade Pool and I think it still challenges me. Could I ever write a song like that? That I think is the is one of the genius things of Radiohead is like, they make me anyway, want to be better, want to push me further in my craft or how I do what I do. They definitely don't make music that follows all the pop rules. Um, I think they're extremely capable of doing that if they wanted to, but they definitely, they've chosen to push the boundaries with their craft and with their music. And they can make it challenging sometimes. Like you could almost argue like, you know, liking it, it's it's it takes a little bit of music geekery sometimes to like the all the layers um, that create Radiohead. But 
I also would take a step back, and I think that's only one lens to look at through it, because I also think that there's a lot in common with their music and the way that like classical music, especially modern classical music, was composed. And I think a lot of that is due to Johnny Greenwood. I mean, he was writing chamber music and studying that the whole time that he was um, doing Radiohead. He's gone on to create some amazing film scores for P.T. Anderson films and, uh, and you know, other things. Incredibly right. accomplished musician. And all that gets inscribed into the way that they capture this rock. I mean, just the subtle playing of Phil Selway on drums and what they play mm -hmm. and what Colin uh, Greenwood, Johnny's brother, actually plays on the bass and what he chooses to put the pieces in. I mean, there's so many details to what uh, Ed is doing, kind of hiding in the background and being more than some of its parts. And they even play um, now with like a second drummer on stage, um, the guy from Portishead. They just keep pushing the boundaries for them. And it's not for everybody. It's, it's challenging music. But if you let yourself dive in and dig into it, I think you're going to be astonished at what it makes you feel, what it brings into your mind's eye, and the journey that it takes you on through all of their record. Bring a shovel when you start listening to Radiohead, because you're going to have to dig. Um, some of it, some of it is easy, but some of it makes you work for it. And I got to tell you, as a musician, oh. that is what makes me and inspires me to go, hmm, st let's stand this on its head and see what happens. They're not just musicians; they're scientists. They're in the studio doing things, like in, like when I was listening to In Rainbows today. Like every song has got a different sound on it you've never heard before. That's hard to do in our jaded culture, like. To make a sound unique enough to be like, what is that? It's amazing, and I feel like, yeah, bring a shovel when you listen to Radiohead because you're you're it's going to get deep, and you're going to need to dig into it. For another great episode of Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, my name is J Mac, and I'm Sam Wade, and I'm Jimmy Britton, and I'm Eli. Saying until next episode, stay, stay cosmic. cosmic.